We are in the book of Hebrews this morning for our scripture reading. Please turn to the book of Hebrews. We'll be beginning in chapter 1. Again, we are in the book of Hebrews. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, and go to chapter 2, verse 4. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, You are my son, today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, Let all of God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he says, He sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. But to the son, he says, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. He also says to the Son, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you will remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like, an, like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. And God never said to any of the angels, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand, and I will humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience will be punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this new day in this new year. Lord, we're, we're, we're reminded of every time I say Happy New Year that you are the one who comes and makes all things new. And Lord, we ask that you would come and be a part of this service, that as we listen through the book of Hebrews, as we work through this, Lord, that you would again make this new for us to hear, that it would find ready hearts and ready minds to hear your glory and your truth, Lord, and that we would be able to apply this to our lives so that we may glorify you. Lord, I ask that you would be with Pastor Doug as he comes and shares the message you've laid on his heart. Lord, give him boldness in his, in his voice. Lord, give him strength in his voice. And Lord, as we sit and we hear, we ask that you would come and take all distraction from us so that we may hear from you this morning. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Henry Wanelke was destined to become one of the world's greatest runners. Running through the streets of Kenya in the early 1980s, it wasn't long before this special gift that he had for speed was recognized. However, at the age of 21, Henry unexpectedly experienced a stroke that left him blind. Understandably, he began to suffer from deep depression and loneliness. Instead of running, he was barely able to get around in a world where it seemed like all the lights had gone out. But something changed. Henry enrolled at a school for the blind, and one of the administrators at the school recognized him and got him running again. How did the teacher do it? He taught Henry that it's not what you see with your eyes that's most important. It's what you see with your vision, your mind, your heart. With that principle in mind, Henry went on to break several world records in the marathon and even hold public office in Kenya. Henry discovered what we all must discover. Vision is more powerful than sight. His people and we need a compelling vision of the real Jesus in order for us to endure the days that lay ahead. We need to see the true Jesus because the vision is more important, powerful than sight. And because of our vision of Jesus is often narrow and shaped by more of our culture, the life events and personal preferences than the Bible itself. Maybe for a few short moments, we were able to be distracted from the events of life by all the lights, events, wrappings, and gatherings of the past holiday. And yet now we step into another year with all the disappointments and stress and past failures strapped to our ankles like a ball and chain. And the only sound that we can hear is that dragging across the floor, and we wonder Is Jesus worth following? You see, seeing that vision is more powerful than sight, we are going to enter into a realm of the book of Hebrews. To catch, if you will, a vision of who Jesus is. In the opening verses, we are awakened to one of the most bantered about issues of biblical theology, and it's this. Who wrote the book? There is no mention of an earthly author. Maybe it's because he doesn't want anyone to quote what he said. Because he begins the book by saying, long ago, God spoke. God said. Isn't it more important to know what God has to say than it is for mankind to say anything? And I think that's what he's getting at. As we begin this journey, you will never find this author's name. Rarely you will even find the inscription as to when he quotes certain Old Testament passages. 
You will not say Moses said or David said. You won't see that. He only mentions it as a matter of fact. In fact, if you take the book of Hebrews, literally, it is a sermon. It's a message. A message void of any man's ideas, but focused more on what God has to say and how Jesus is greater than anything that this world has to offer. What's interesting, though, is when you come to the book of Hebrews, you begin to realize who is this particular author writing to. He's writing to the first century, if you will, of Jewish believers. Those who have come, as the book of Acts tells us, people of the way. They're individuals who have forsaken what they once knew in order to gain that which that is brand new. They've come to trust Christ as their only hope of eternal life. But the problem is, as we will see in a few short moments, their commitment is beginning to wane because of persecution and temptation. They were tempted to go back to the old ways of trying to follow the old covenant because of the persecution they were enduring at the hands of the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. They were tempted to go back to the old ways and trying to follow the old covenant because Nero, the ruling Roman emperor, was harsh. And he hated biblical Christianity. It was under Nero that hundreds, if not thousands of believers were made sport of in the arena known as the Roman arena. They were castigated by wild animals. They were sport of gladiators just in order to appease the people of Rome, believer people at that time were nothing more than objects of sport. It was also Nero who would take believer people, dip them in oil, strap them to posts, and light them for lights at night to highlight the streets of Rome. Now you kind of wonder why. They may even be questioning, is following Jesus really worth it? This morning, or at least these writings, begin with an interesting declaration that begins our understanding of, is it worth following Jesus Christ? The opening verses of 1 through 4, we will not get any further than that this morning, and aren't you glad, which probably gives you the idea, we're going to hunker down in Hebrews for quite a while. But the first four verses highlight some very interesting situations. 
It begins by saying that, that in long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. By the prophets. God used individuals as bearers of instructions, warnings, guidance in his word to lead his people in the way of righteousness. Moses was given the law as the means of guidance as well as warning. Isaiah was used by God to sound the alarm concerning the nation of Israel falling away from the Lord. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, just to name a few others, were the mouthpieces of God, instructions to inform God's people of the message from heaven. Now, only prophets, not only prophets, but God used angels. Angels came to Abraham to warn of the pending doom of Sodom and Gomorrah over the horrific sins of those cities. Angels brought messages to Daniel to inform him of the coming nations leading up to the culmination of the ages. Even our most recent holiday, we're aware of the angels that used by God to herald the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And probably one of the most interesting uses uh, God had concerning the Old Testament is recorded for us in Numbers 22, where a donkey kept a man alive. Balaam riding a donkey on a mission to accomplish something that the king of Moab wanted to be done. And three times the donkey laid down with Balaam on top of him. And Balaam whipped that donkey three times. And then finally the donkey speaks. Why are you beating me? Don't you know what I'm trying to keep you from? And then in Numbers 22 it says, God opened Balaam's eyes to be able to see an angel who had a sword drawn. And the angel said, if it wasn't for the donkey, you'd be dead by now. Because what you are doing, I find evil. I'd have loved to have been a flea on the back of that donkey's back to hear that conversation. But isn't it amazing how God got his message out to people who needed instruction, who needed warning, who needed guidance, and yet, but it doesn't stop there. You'll notice in verse 2, for it says, but in these days, God speaks to us through his Son. God speaks to us through his Son. He is the ultimate one in whom we must listen and follow. May, may I ask you a question before we continue our journey? Do you find it difficult to read the Scriptures? 
do you find that that's maybe one thing that you sort of push off because diapers got to be changed, dishes got to be done, meals got to be cooked, houses got to be cleaned, got to go to this store, got to go to that store. And yet, as God speaks of his son, the only place that that is recorded is here. Too often we journey to the thoughts of men about who Jesus is. My bookshelves are full of men's words, bringing clarity to passages, yes, but they are never to be used to usurp what God has to say about his son. And if we really want to know, is it worth following Jesus? Then it would do us well to pay attention to the message that God gives us in verses 2 and 3. Four truths that make following Jesus well worth the journey. We need to pray. God, there is so much sickness going around. Physical sickness whereby individuals are weakened, hospitalized, Individuals who can only find their relief as they take their medication prescribed by doctors. They call it influenza A. And yet, oh God, I'm also aware of a spiritual weakness, a sickness. We find ourselves trapped with a ball and chain of failure. And we even wonder, is it really worth following your son? Our journey in these many months are going to take us through a valuable study, a message from you that you obviously declare it is well worth the journey. So this morning, O oh Lord, may your message of four truths ring in our hearts and the very depths of our soul that we can raise our voices in praise. We can live our lives in thanksgiving and we can worship and adore you because you alone are worthy. And we trust that by your Spirit, you will teach us and remind us of these truths. Especially when that ball and chain seems to get a little bit heavier to pull along. But I'm glad that we've been set free. The shackles have been removed. and We don't need to carry that burden anymore. Guide us, O oh Lord our God, I pray in your name. I ask these things. Amen. It says in verse 2, 
In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. In these last days, he's talking about the New Testament days, which everything that falls between the birth of Christ and the coming of his return. We are in these last days. Jesus is God's final word on every subject. Jesus is the ultimate foundation of all that is created. For by him all things were made, for without him was not anything made that was made, as John said in John chapter 1 and verse 3. Furthermore, God has bequeathed all of creation to Jesus Christ, the heir of all things. In Colossians 1, 16-17, these words are recorded, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So seeing that God has spoken to us in these days by his Son, Jesus Christ, it would also do us well to pay attention to what it is that God is saying. The first one, the first truth. We find that in verse 3. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of God's nature. He is the radiance of God's glory. I've never had the experience of being a part of an atomic bomb practice. But I've seen videos of it. And when one of those things lets loose, the radiance of it travels for miles and affects everything that is around it in a very destructive way, by the way. But using that kind of an analogy, when Jesus showed up on this earth, the radiance of God exploded. So much so that the writer of Romans tells us in Romans chapter 1 that all of creation declares his glory. That's who he is. That's who he is. We need this kind of fresh message from God concerning the things, especially when things get tough and the chips seem to be down, when it all seems to be loss. We need a fresh vision of who Jesus Christ is. You see, one of the reasons we lose vision of who Jesus Christ is is because we, we read more, listen more, and investigate more the words of man instead of read more, listen more, investigate more of what God has to say. What God has to say. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, that verse says that the God of this world 
has blinded the eyes of them that they may not see the glorious gospel of Christ. And then it, but it closes with this phrase, who is the image of God. In Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. Jesus Christ is a reflection of who God is. As he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The representation of who God is. Everything I say comes from the Father. And the glory of who God is this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. When it says that God says that He is my radiance, that means there's nobody else. All of heaven, all of earth pales into who Jesus Christ is. When everyone else leaves you, Jesus will never leave you, never forsake you. When all seems to be at loss, Jesus says, storm, be still. When all seems to come at you at one time, Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Why can he do that? Because he is the radiance of God. In our study of Wednesday nights, I invite you all to come back. We're going through distinctly, slowly, intently through the book of the Revelation. And in chapter 5, we're only halfway through it, chapter 5, the question arises, who is worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. For there was none found in heaven or on earth or under the earth. And John says, I began to weep because no one was worthy. Then the angel came to him and said, don't do that. For there is one who is worthy. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's from the root of David. He was slain and is now alive. He's the worthy one. And then it says, he went and took the scroll. And as soon as he took the scroll, all heaven began to sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy. He is worthy. Why? Because he is the radiance and the brilliantness of God in person. Oh, I would have loved to have been a flea in the dirt when Peter, James, and John was with Jesus on top of the Mount Transfigurations. And man, didn't that place turn into a show? So much so, brilliant as it was, God spoke when he said, this is my beloved son here Ye him. In other words, pay attention 
to what he's got to say. Why? Because he is the radiance of who I am. And when he speaks, he speaks of me. The second one is also, he is the maker of purification for our sins. It says, and the and sustaining all power, making after making purification for sins. He's the only one. First Corinthians fifteen three and four says it plainly, where it says the gospel by which we are saved is this: that Jesus Christ died for our sin according to the scriptures was buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures and was seen of many. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might receive the adoption of children, sons, daughters of God. In Revelation 5, we made mention of it just a few short minutes ago. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood and from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And then in 1 John 2.2, it says, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he himself, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for those of the whole world. Isn't it interesting? We're not being generic God, we're being specific Jesus, because that's who God is talking about. You can go out on the streets of any major city and start talking about God, you're not going to be bothered, but you start talking specifically about Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you won't be there long. Why? Because he's the only hope of a dying world. God said, he's my radiance. God said, he's my provider of salvation. And thirdly, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let me take you back to a few instances that maybe you might remember from your former Sunday school days. Specifically around Easter time. When Jesus was walking in the garden, Mary came up to him. And she so wanted to grab hold of him. And Jesus said, don't touch me yet. I must first ascend to my father. That, was, that is a significant statement because in his ascending to the father, before he could be touched by human hands, God had to say, well done. This is what we need. Now go back and tell people. Spend a little time on earth. Be down there for a little bit. Tell people, encourage the disciples. Lift up those 
who are discouraged. Take a walk on the road to Emmaus. There's two people that need to hear about you. Go. And then when you're all done with that, come home. He sat down because he's worthy. When a king has accomplished all that there is, he sits and reigns and rules. And the kingdom moves according to his plan. Well, you may be thinking, the kingdom's getting messed up right now on this earth, but I'm here to tell you something. It isn't fidgeting God one bit. Jesus is still seated, but I tell you what, I'm looking forward for when God the Father turns to the Son and says, go get the children. Bring them home. One day the trumpet is going to sound. The dead is going to rise first in Christ. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up with Him to meet Him in the clouds. Thus we will ever be with the Lord. Because He's the seated, worthy king and when the king is seated dear people there's nothing on this earth that can take you from him is he worthy of following yes he is and last but not least the fourth one he became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs Turn with me now to Philippians chapter 2. We close with one of the most dynamic passages that reflect on the greatness of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2. It's almost the trumpets should be getting ready to blow right now. The bass drums ought to be getting ready to beat right now. The choir ought to be ready to be shouting hallelujah right now because it says, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Let this mind or attitude be in you as that which was in Jesus Christ who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had become as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, choir, let it rip. Amen. His name is worthy of even the enemy of our soul who will one day proclaim Him to be Lord. 
that's right before he's drop-kicked into the lake of fire. Is Jesus Christ worth following in the year 2023? You bet he is. Not based upon what I say, but based upon what God said. He is worthy because he has spoken to us by his son in these last days. Do you know him? That's where it all has to begin. For if you have no relationship with him, then you have no understanding of who he really is. Oh, how I pray in the year 2023 that God, even in the darkest days, would cause a great light to be seen that maybe our community would be one for the cause of Christ. And our lives would be changed. And we wouldn't look forward to forsaking our faith, but to build our faith in who Jesus Christ is. And we pray. God, oh, that name of Jesus. There is no other name. Your word tells us that there is no other name given amongst men under heaven whereby anyone can be saved. We've already known that at this name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It is the name of Jesus whereby we're told that if we will believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and if we will confess him as our Savior, you shall be saved. It's the name that calms the seas. It's the name that lifts broken hearts. It's the name that changes broken lives. It's the name that is above every name. And we've just scratched the surface. Oh, Heavenly Father, in the weeks, months coming, May our understanding of Jesus Christ come from your words. May your spirit engulfs our lives so that no longer would we even consider throwing a faith away. We would long to have it built. So unto you, O oh Lord, we commend these people and ask for your guidance and direction in their lives throughout this week. And until we gather again, may the name of Jesus flow from our lips in praise and adoration and worship. And we'll thank you in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction, please.
Now unto him. Now unto Jesus. May all that we say and do be for his glory and for his honor because he's worthy. In Christ's name, with your blessing upon these people, O Lord God, I ask this. Amen.